All right. Well, praise God and good morning. And it's starting to get nice and sunny out. So this nice weather is starting to show up finally. Thank God we can get some sunshine and some some warm weather, get away from the rain and start to do all sorts of outdoor activities. Um, One thing I do want to say with it being uh, Memorial Day, uh, Memorial Day weekend, if you don't do this as a, as a regular part of your prayer, take some time during this weekend just to uh, ask God to continue to keep our men and women safe that continue their fight for our country. Um, they have a thankless job. It's, it's, it's something that um, I'm definitely not brave enough to do. So, you know, lift them up in prayer. Uh, if you see, see, see a veteran or someone that serves, thank them for their service and bless them. Um, because that, that, that is an important job that they have, and it's something that is, is not, easy, uh, not easy to do. Um, we're going to continue on with a, a theme that we've had over the last um, several Sundays in, in terms of walking with God. And um, God constantly calls us to have a deeper walk with him and to build a much deeper relationship with him. And especially the way the world is now, um, we need God now more and more than ever. And so today we're going to continue on in that theme. And part of that theme is looking at how do we actually uh, combat the evil one when he raises his ugly head. So today we're actually going to look at some some weapons of warfare that God has given to us. We know that God has given us prayer um, as one of the, one of his weapons and, and the Bible as well. But there's things in the Bible that are some more specific weapons that we're going to look at. Um, and, and the most familiar one that we're going to look at is we're going to look at the armor of God. You know, this is something that I remember from being a kid back in New York in our uh, in our church that we were in. They had a bookstore next door, and you can actually buy this little action figure that had uh, the armor of God. And my brother and I, we both had one, you know, and I still remember to this day exactly what it looks like, you know. And so it, it's something that's always stuck in my mind and, and something that we've got to keep, in, keep in, in, in our remembrance as Christians because through that armor, by, by equipping ourselves with all the aspects of that armor, that's how we start to build this deeper walk. This is how we start to become much more victorious. This is how we keep ourselves from being, um, you know, stressed out when, when, when the devil raises his head and things don't seem to be working out our way. This is how we, we actually can combat him and, and show him that, um, that, that we know who God is. God is in our life and we know how to use, use the tools that God has given us. So let's start looking at some of our some some familiar scriptures here. We're going to go to Ephesians 6. Okay. Ephesians 6. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the we're going to look at the the armor and then we're going to break down each piece of the armor and talk about how do we actually use uh, each piece of the armor. Because it's one thing to know what the pieces of the armor are. are. It's another thing to understand why it's constructed, why the different pieces guard specific parts of the body. And then how do we actually use it as we're um, engaging in spiritual spiritual warfare? Okay, Uh, Ephesians chapter six. And we're going to start in verse 10. Okay. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Underline that. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, underline whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Underline stand. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, 
against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. If you don't have that scripture underlined already, underline the entire thing, circle it, highlight it, um, whatever it is. That's a, a scripture there that you should, you don't have to necessarily remember it, you know, word for word, but that's a scripture that should always come to mind. Because as you're looking around and you see what happens in the world, when you look at what happens in your own household, when you look and see what happens on in other people's lives, whether it's in a job or, or, or friends and family or whatever the case may be, remembering that scripture starts to put things into, into a different perspective. You start to realize that, yes, while we are people and while we make decisions, that we are being driven by one of two forces, and that's either God's forces or that's the, the devil's forces. So understanding that when things happen in the world the way they do, it's recognizing that don't get mad necessarily at the individual, but think about what force of darkness might be driving that individual. Or when you see, um, I know for, for, for me personally and I know for many of you here, we've all been in situations where our backs were against the wall where it seemed like, nope, there's no way we should have been victorious. Well, if you remember this scripture here, you know that, oh, that's right, I will be victorious. It might take some time, but I will be victorious because it's not about what I see with my eyes. It's not about what I hear with my ears. It's not about that letter that I got in the mail or what that person said to me. It's recognizing that there's forces around us that we do not see that are in operation. Okay, so verse 12 again, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor, underlying whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, underlying withstand and to stand. Verse 14, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having your feet shod uh, having, your shod, having shod your feet with the perspiration of the gospel of peace. I'm going to pause there for a second. In verse 11, if you didn't underline the word stand, I want you to underline that. In verse 13, you'll see the word withstand and stand. Underline both of those. And in verse 14, also underline the word stand. Okay? Standing, when it comes down to um, uh, rejecting any opposition, standing is considered a, an act of defiance. OK, um, I'm not going to stand for 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 whatever that agenda is going to be. I'm not going to stand for this certain type of behavior. It's considered an act of defiance. So when you're standing up against the devil, you are basically defying his his tactics. You're defying whatever it is that he's trying to do in your life. If you ever watch any of these sci fi movies, which I like when that have aliens trying to take over the earth. One of the things that you hear, one of the, the, the head alien usually say is kneel before me or something to that effect. And they know that if human if the human humans would kneel before them, that's a sign of surrender, okay? The Bible says that all will bow to the name of Jesus, so you won't be able to stand against against Jesus. You will kneel because that means that you recognize that, or your spirit recognizes that he is king of kings and he is lord of lords. So when it comes down to the devil, one, hopefully we're not actually bowing down to him um, physically and actually doing it literally, but also bowing down means not not giving in to what he's trying to, to accomplish in your life. He has a negative agenda for your life, and standing strong against that means that you are going to defy every single action that he takes against you. Okay, so continuing on in, the, in Ephesians uh, 6, verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which uh, with with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, underline in the spirit, 
being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all uh, for all the saints. Okay, so that's the armor of God as as a whole. If you notice going through that, all the pieces of the armor, with the exception of one, are all defensive. All the defensive pieces of the armor are mentioned before it gets into the one offensive weapon, which is the word of God. And the reason for that is because the defensive weapons, it doesn't take a lot of skill, if you will, to utilize a defensive weapon. If you know how to put it on, you're you're, going to be pretty successful. Okay. most of the time we find ourselves, especially as as baby Christians, we are defending against the enemy more than going on the offensive. Because when you become saved, the thing you focus on is the joy and the peace that you feel with having God in your life. But you haven't gotten to that deeper level yet with God. So you don't really understand how do I use the word of God to combat the enemy? So you start to put on the defensive pieces of the armor. Anytime military tactics are being discussed, the one of the questions that comes up is how what is the response going to be? Because once you go ahead and attack, there will be some sort of counterattack or there will be silence, meaning that, OK, we know not to we know not to mess with that particular country. Well, the devil is no different. When you attack him, know that he is going to attack you and attack you harder. And the reason being is because when you actually go on the offensive against the enemy, now what you've highlighted to him is that, yeah, I know how you operate. I know how to attack you and I know how to win. So when that happens and you hit him, he's going to step back and say, "Okay, I can't do that anymore. I'm going to have to do something else and I'm going to have to step up my attacks even more. So then he's going to end up coming back at you. Also recognize that um, just like God who doesn't sleep, the enemy doesn't sleep at all either. He operates 24 seven. We don't have the luxury of doing that because we need to navigate through this physical world. So when we're, you know, grocery shopping or we're going to work or we're sleeping, especially our guard is down. And so you have to have the defensive armor on because when the devil tries to hit you when you're not looking or when you're not prepared, that defensive armor is there to be able to to, to thwart off his attacks. Okay, and then the the one um, offensive weapon there is the is the word of God, which is uh, it says right there, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we're going to touch we're going to talk about each one of these different pieces of armor and how to use them here um, in a bit. Okay, so looking at the first piece of armor that the Bible talks about, and that is the 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 um, having your your waist girded with truth. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, and we're going to go to verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away, uh, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin, because they do not believe in me of righteousness, because uh, I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, underline all of 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority 
but uh, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me and he will uh, take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I uh, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So what I really want to focus on there is verse 13 about the about the spirit of truth. So this is Holy Spirit. OK, the Bible also says elsewhere, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So if you understand about the the armor that they used back in during these biblical times when when they were battling. All right. The the belt of truth, as, as some um, as some translations will call it, is not the kind of belt that we think of that we put on when we put on our pants, you know, a couple of inches wide. This belt was several inches wide and it also hanging from it um, had other pieces of armor that also went down to around the knee level around around just above the knee to provide protection to, to lower extremities. OK. This belt was also designed to hold the rest of the armor that was on your torso to keep it in place and allowed you to put anything on it like a, a, um, a sword or a dagger or anything else that you might be able, that you might want to carry. So why is this? Why is the is truth considered the belt of belt of truth for the for the armor of God? Well, it's because truth is what holds everything together. OK. Jesus is, is, is the way, the truth and the life. Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth that's going to reveal all things to you. The word of the, um, the word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which would be attached to your attached to your belt is what keeps the word of God close to you. It's that truth. It's the Holy Spirit. So when I read the Bible, how do I know what I'm reading and what it is that God's trying to tell me? It's through the Holy Spirit. It is through that truth. How do I know if somebody else says something about the Bible that's whether or not it's truth? Again, it's the Holy Spirit. So that belt of truth that's around your waist is what's going to keep everything together. It's going to hold everything in place. The other pieces of the armor that 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 extends from the belt down to around the, the knee knee line there will keep you from having your legs be exposed by the attack of attack of the enemy. So in these times when they were fighting and they were battling with swords, most of the time they would go towards the the, the torso because that's where most of the uh, uh, the vital organs are, are going to be. But if you didn't, if you neglected your 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 lower extremities there, we know how hard that how hard it is to. Stay if you have sore legs from doing a workout or from running or if you get a trolley horse or something like that, it's hard. To, it's hard to deal with. So you still have to have your lower extremities protect, um, protected. So the Holy Spirit being the spirit of truth and Jesus keeps you from from being exposed to lies that might be perpetrated by others, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly. Holy Spirit will be able to tell you this is what truth is. Turning your Bibles to Second Timothy two. Verse 14. As we still kind of look at um, look at the purpose of truth and how do we use truth as part of the armor of God. Okay, Second Timothy, Chapter two. And we're going to go to verse 14. Second Timothy two, verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Underline both verses 15 and 16. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. 
uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Okay. So as we're talking about truth there, you notice there in verse 15, it talks about being diligent, presenting yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay. Rightly dividing the word of truth simply means that you don't read the Bible, obviously, from cover to cover like you were reading a novel. Okay, because that's not the way it was it, it was written. You won't get that deep Holy Spirit understanding if you just try to read it like a like, like a book that way. So rightly dividing the word of truth means that you read a scripture. You ask Holy Spirit, Lord, what does that mean? Help help me to see uh, deeper into into you by looking at this scripture. And then he starts to point out other scriptures, scriptures that are in other places within the Bible so you can get everything in the context. It also means that you don't pull one scripture from one place and say this is what it means without looking at preceding verses and verses afterwards. If you think back to English class, I'm going to say this was probably what elementary school when they taught you how to read things in context and how you can determine a meaning by by reading an entire paragraph and not just one sentence. Well, it's the same thing with the word of God. When you have the Holy Spirit in there revealing the truth to you, he will show you, well, yeah, you read that. But if you go back just a few more verses continue through and then go to the next few verses, then you start to get that entire scripture in the context. Then it starts to make sense. So when other people sit there and try to tell you, well, you know, Genesis 1, 1, you know, that's really a, a description of the of the Antichrist. You can look at it and say, how in the world did you get that? Now, I'm not saying I've never heard that, but people that don't, quote unquote, rightly divide the word of God. That's the type of uh, of interpretations that they'll do. They'll give you a scripture and you can read it without even having Holy Spirit understanding and look at that and say, that's not what that scripture says. OK, that's why you got to have the, the, the spirit of truth. That's why truth is what holds everything together um, on this, this spiritual armor of God that we've been looking at. So how do we actually use truth to combat the enemy? Well, any time, especially if you're going to get engaged in any kind of discussion that's going to be related on God or any kind of biblical topic, whether you're going to Bible study, going to church, talking with a family member, talking with a friend or even reading your own Bible. Before you get into that, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to you before you start getting into that conversation. OK. You never know if somebody is trying to lead you astray purposely or if they are just misquoting it because they don't understand Holy Spirit will be able to tell you whether it's a it's a it's a purposeful, purposeful tactic or if it's just a mistake. No matter who you are, there's nobody in this world that's perfect. Pastors aren't perfect. Elders aren't perfect. So it could be that they are misspeaking at times or it could be that they are purposely trying to pull you away and talking about um, um, doctrines that aren't aren't related to the word of God. OK. And you see that in churches today where you'll get ministers that will get up there and they will say things um, and do things because they want to appease the congregation instead of giving the unfiltered, unfiltered word of God. And all I can say is the Bible says that what's done in the darkness will come to light. And I know my wife and I were talking earlier today about a church that we know um, where they, they have more uh, scandals that are starting to pop up um, with, with, with some of the pastors that are in that church. And we know some of the behaviors that uh, the leadership in that church allows to enter into that church. OK, so I have Holy Spirit um, and asking him to reveal the truth to you before you read your Bible or going to church or going to Bible study is one way that you can use truth. Not every single time when you're sitting in church are the words that are coming from the pulpit going to resonate in that moment. So another way to use truth is make a note of it. 
take it home and, and pray to God about it and ask him, say, all right, Lord, what am I missing here? OK, because it's not always going to resonate. And the Bible says to, to, to test the, to try the spirits. All right. So if you got if you're hearing something that's not quite resonating. Hmm, OK, Lord, am I missing something here? OK. And asking the question of am I missing something here is pretty crit- is, is critical in terms of words that you use, because now what you're telling God is, Lord, I've never heard this before or I don't understand this. So show me what I'm missing versus just cutting it off and saying, no, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. You're telling God that your spirit is open to learning about things about him that you've never heard before. OK, so that's how we use the spirit of uh, that's how we use truth to, to combat the enemy. The belt that uh, that's used during uh, during these times of war uh, back in these days was also then connected to a piece of armor that covered the covered the torso. OK, and we're going to look at the next part of of, uh, of the armor of God, which is the, the breastplate of righteousness. So let's turn into Psalm. Uh, wait a second here. Let's turn to Psalm 15. Okay. Psalm 15. As we look at righteousness. Psalm 15, verse one. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Underline that he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor take up uh, a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Underline that. He who does these things shall never be moved. Okay. So walking uprightly, working righteousness, speaking truth. Okay. Not looking at someone that, that doesn't believe what you believe as as uh, as somebody that you despise or that you hate. This is what righteousness looks like. OK. Now, the reason why there's the breastplate of righteousness is because that armor that covers your torso protects all of your vital organs or the most vital of your organs that are in your that are in your body. So spiritually, what it's doing is protecting your heart. Righteousness should be living within your heart. So if you want to live a godly lifestyle, it starts with what you do in the heart. OK, when it comes down to salvation, God talks about how he, he knows your heart. OK, so people can go out and they can put a show on and they can they can serve in the church left and right. They can go to every single Bible study. They can tithe. They can do all those things. But it all comes down to what's happening inside their heart. If they truly believe in Jesus Christ, if they've truly accepted them, if he's, if they're truly willing to turn their life over to Christ and live the, the lifestyle that he modeled for us, that will show you what an actual righteous person is. The world has a different um, definition of righteousness, and it's not the same as what God's level of righteousness is. Let's turn to Romans 14. Romans 14. And we're going to go to verse 14.
praise God. I'm going to wait for everyone to get there. Romans 14, 14. Okay. I know and, and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one uh, for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Underline verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify, uh, may edify another. Okay. Underline, matter of fact, all the verses uh, 17, 18 and 19. Okay. Because here is, is a, a, a bit of a description, if you will, of what righteousness means in, in, in God's eyes. Okay. In man's eyes, righteousness would be to do to someone that what, what, whatever it is that they did to you and do it times 10 so that they never do it again. Okay. Someone yells at you. Someone screams some obscenities to you. The world's righteousness would say you do the same thing right back to them and you do it in a way where if they ever thought to yell at you again, that they would think twice about about doing that. OK, that's not what God's standard is about. God's standard is about peace and joy and in, in, in the Holy Spirit. And in verse 18, you see, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So what you see there, what, what, what that's starting to talk about there is, is everything that you do. You're not doing it for other people. At least you shouldn't be doing it for other people. Yes, we all would like to be liked by everybody that we come in contact with. But at the end of the day, what you're doing is not for men. It's for God. What you do in the workplace should be for God. What you do at home should be for God. Um, um, serving in the church should not be for we want people to look at you. It should be all done for God and recognizing that if you have that as your as, as in the forefront of your mind, that's how you end up be, becoming um Lift it up, if you will. Um, that's how you find favor in the side, side of other men, because I don't know about you, but I've certainly been in situations where I've always stood up for God. And, and people will then say, you know what, that was a I don't know what was a, it was about him. But, yeah, there's something different about him. And I and I like what I see. Well, there's something different about her. And I, and I like what I see, because in your heart, again, getting back to the breastplate of righteousness in your heart is righteousness. And it's God's righteousness. It's not man's righteousness. OK, um, you may have heard in, you know, either at work or sometime in, in, in school talking about what are your values as an individual? OK, values are the things that you hold near and dear to your heart. And you don't care about what other people think of you because you're not going to value. You're not going to violate what those values are. So if your values are biblically based and if they're based off of off, off of what God has given us in the Bible, you're not going to worry about what, what anybody thinks. You're going to align everything that you do and everything you say in accordance with what God wants you to do. And you're going to work on making sure that you are work, walking towards um, or walking in uh, God's divine purpose for your life. OK, so one way that you can use righteousness is to ask yourself or ask God, am I walking in your divine purpose? OK. Because if you're walking in God's divine purpose, then everything that you do will be should be um, of a righteous behavior as long as you're yielding to what he's telling you to do. Also, be careful to keep the to be careful of the company that you keep. 
Not everybody that's around you is going to live a righteous lifestyle. And we know that. Okay, you can look at the world and you can see how all the things from before that were considered right are now considered wrong. And all the things that were considered wrong are now considered right. Okay, it's no secret. I'm a millennial um, and I talk with other millennials. And it's funny because we all say the same thing about the fact that we remember a time when there were certain you wouldn't watch TV usually after 10 o'clock because that's when things came on that you should not be watching. Nowadays, you turn the TV on at six o'clock during dinner time. There's things on there that you shouldn't see. So slowly over the years, you see how things have changed where primetime TV, which is, you know, or late night TV now starts to become primetime TV. It starts to become acceptable. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to, to movie ratings um, to see, OK, what does PG-13 mean? What does rated R mean and everything like that? But over the years, those things have changed. I know my wife and I, we were talking a few weeks ago about a movie. Like, oh, yeah, we should. We could probably have the kids see that as rated PG-13. And I remember I said, well, wait a second. I remember seeing a PG-13 movie that was not PG-13 for sure. OK. And had I known that, I would have not have gone, gone to see it. So you got to make sure that, that, that we're, we're being careful of the company that we keep. Be careful about what comes into your household as well. OK. That's a big one. If the devil can tear your household apart, he's got you. Right. And, I'll, and I will say this. This is what, where politicians miss it. When they try to figure out, well, why do these school shootings happen? Why do why do kids grow up in there and they're doing these things that you never would think of, of a child doing? And they miss the fact that it starts at home. A child grows up to become an adult and they become that adult based off of what they grew up in, based off of the people that were around them, based off of who you bought in the house and how you raised them. It has nothing to do with any of the weapons that they're using or any inanimate object. It has to do with what's happening um, in the household. So if you don't have your household in, in, in a place that's, uh, focus on righteousness and having um, God at the center of it. Yes, kids can grow up to do all sorts of things that you wouldn't imagine that they could do. OK, that's why we have uh, that's why we're in some of the situations that, that we're in. Another way that you can utilize righteousness is making sure that you are not shy about your uh, about your belief in God and who you are as a Christian. I was talking to some people the other day um, at work and they were asking me a question about a movie that I, if I saw it and I said, no. Uh, they said, what? And they looked at me kind of funny, almost kind of in the mock. Like, what do you mean? How could you not see that movie? It's the funniest thing ever. I said, no, it's not, it's not, it's not my type of movie. And then they asked, oh, what about the actor? And they gave me the actor's name. And I said, no, nope. they said, he's not, he, he's not funny to me. That's, that's not my, not my style. And then I could start to see, they started thinking like, oh, okay. Something, something's a little bit different. And they asked, what type of movie do you watch? I said, I don't mind comedy, but it's got to be good, clean comedy. And this particular actor is not anything that I would want to listen to or have my kids listen to. So so again, it wasn't me beating them over the head with the Bible or anything like that. But they asked. I told them. OK, so don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of that. The other part of the armor that you also start to see kind of mentioned here is the is, is having your feet shod with the um, preparation of the gospel of peace. OK, so we see here in in verse 19, therefore, let us pursue the things which make peace and the things by which one may edify another. OK, in Philippians four, seven, you don't have to go there now, but you can you can write this down in Philippians four, seven. It says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So why are the feet considered uh, have the preparation of the gospel of peace? Well, because if you're walking in righteousness, well, let's back up to, to, to truth. If you have the Holy Spirit of truth operating in you and keeping everything together, OK, and that's where you're going to get your source of your information to find out what's truth and what's not. 
You have righteousness living inside your heart and you're walking in the manner that God wants you to walk. You're living in his defined purpose. Then what you have to do then is recognize that you have to have peace when God calls you to do something. Okay, the 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 armor that they use on their feet during these times, it wasn't just the sandals like you see them walking around. But they also would have protection that went up their shins as well to protect their legs from any low attacks. All right. Now, that's important because if you can, if you, like I talked earlier, if you ever had a Charlie horse in your cab, you know how it can almost disable you pretty severely. Okay, I remember one time uh, when we were living back east and I, I wasn't feeling good, so I stayed home from school. And I remember I was laying on the couch and I stretched. And, oh, my gosh, I got the worst Charlie horse. My calf swelled up really big. And I was too sick to even scream. So I just laid there in a silent pain until it went away. But my whole right leg just went completely stiff. And I'm just laying there like, you know, I couldn't breathe or anything like that. I'm looking at my calf and it's like, oh, my my gosh, I didn't realize it could get that big. And I just sat there until the pain subsided because I was too sick to even scream. Okay, so when you're in a spiritual battle, if the devil can cut off your, 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 your peace, it's going to be hard to stand. Okay. And you have to have the peace on your feet because the, having it on your feet, that's the first thing that steps forward when God tells you to take action. So you've got to be able to step your feet out and say, OK, I don't know what's going to happen after this, but I'm going to take that step. And then I'm going to stand in peace as I wait for my next instruction. When God gives you that next instruction, the first thing that goes forward is going to be your foot in peace. And you got to stand there and you got to have faith. Don't let the devil get down there and cut off your peace because then your whole body is going to collapse and the whole armor. Um, you then become susceptible to additional attacks. OK. Earlier, pastor was talking about Psalm 37 and in, in verses three through five, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And in verse five. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. So remember that scripture when the devil tries to steal your peace. Okay, when you're unsure, when God tells you, I need you to step out in this direction, when you're unsure of what's going to happen in that. Remember those scriptures. Okay, remember Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Okay, so when the devil tries to tell you, like, yeah, are you sure God's telling you to go over there? Are you sure God's telling you to take that job? Are you sure he's telling you to leave this job? Are you sure he's telling you this and he's telling you that? Step out in faith. Step out in peace and tell Satan, um, tell Satan to, to get behind you. Okay. So, so far we've looked at the belt of truth. We've looked at righteousness and we looked at the preparation of the gospel of peace. The next, the next piece of the armor, which is also defensive, is faith. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 3. And let's actually start in verse one. Proverbs chapter three, verse one. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace. They will add to you. Underline all the verses one and two. My son, do not forget my law, but keep your heart. uh, But let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace. They will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Okay, so if you're keeping God's commandments, 
regardless of what anybody says and whatever, whatever anybody tells you, you will find at some point you will find favor in the sight of men. But more importantly, you will find favor in the sight of God. OK, verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding In all your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Verse nine, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of uh, of all your increase. So verse nine there is talking about tithes and offerings. OK, the first fruits of your increase. That's the tithe. That's the 10 percent that God requires. OK. Do you have faith to give that last dollar that you have, knowing that that's the 10 percent that you owe God, knowing that you've got a million bills that you have to pay tomorrow morning? OK, that's part of faith. All right. Verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. All right. We know the Bible also says that God's ways are not uh, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So you have to understand that if you are going back again, putting all of these pieces together for 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 the armor there, if you got the, the word of truth or the Holy Spirit of truth, keeping everything together, you live in a lifestyle of righteousness. And that is inside your heart. You're stepping out in peace. Um, knowing that, that that God is is actually guiding your path and that you're you're walking uh, in His divine purpose, then you also need to make sure that you trust the Lord and know that whatever is going to happen, that it's all going to work out for good. Okay, Romans eight twenty eight says, "All things work together for good for those that love God, the called who are uh, those who are called according to His purpose." Okay, so whenever you're feeling like uh, I don't I don't know, this is not going to work out, you know. I've been at this for the last six months. Still, nothing has happened. All right. Remember Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good that love God. The call that according to His purpose. Remember uh, Proverbs three verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, because whatever God has done in the past, He will do it again. It doesn't mean that He's going to do it the same exact way. Okay. So how you can use faith? When a devil sits there and tries to plant some doubt in your mind, rebuke him in the name of Jesus and remind him how how God has delivered you in the past and that he will do it again. The same way David standing before Goliath reminded Goliath that, hey, you know what, though, you might be a warrior since youth and you might be standing here before me, uh, defying the the army of God and defying my God. But he 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 delivered me from the paw of the bear. He delivered me from the lion. You're not going to be any different. You don't have to be a bear or a lion. But the fact that matter is he will deliver me again. That's what you let the, let the devil know. Let him know that you are not to be messed with and that God has got your back and he is more powerful than, than the devil is. OK. And you speak these things um, when you're praying. Speak these things to the, to, to the devil as you're praying, as you're binding him up and you're, and you're rebuking him. OK. Part of of, of having a. A. A more victorious walk in Christ is being able to treat your problems as though you've got the problem standing in front of you and that you can talk to it and that it's going to go away. Okay, so when you're praying and saying, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, spirit of lack, if you're hurting for finances, spirit of infirmity, if you're feeling if you're feeling sick, spirit of depression, if you're feeling sad, rebuke all those things in the name of Jesus and hit him back with some scripture and he will flee. Okay, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay, but you have to have faith that in the words that you're speaking, you have to have faith in Holy Spirit's power and you have to have faith in the authority that Jesus gave us by using his name. That's the only way that we can start to become victorious. Okay, so why is it a shield? Well, because when you're in spiritual battle and you're actually actively in battle, 
the shield is the only thing that you can actually manipulate while you're battling with a sword. And you have to have faith that when you can see the trajectory of the sword that's coming at you, that you can actually wield that shield in a position to block that attack. Okay. The shield is also something that can be used as faith for a head on attack, because at times during these times of battle, it wasn't always just about swinging, swinging swords. At times there might be a head on attack, especially if you're if you're going up against the battle against a bigger, uh, a bigger soldier. OK, so when they're coming at you, being able to stand, as the word of God says, hold that shield up because it could be a full frontal attack without a sword. It could be one of those um, uh, man versus man on man kind of thing. Like we used to say in football, you know, it was you and the guy in front of you and whoever had the the most skill and the most power would win. So sometimes the enemy may try to come at you head on like that. So you've got to be able to stand and say, oh, you may not be able to get to your sword, but you can certainly put up that shield of faith and block his attack. OK, any darts that might be coming at you from all over when you're trying to accomplish something and it seems like it's not happening. You get this person to shoot a dart at you um, because, oh, no, you're not going to you're not su- going to succeed doing that. Oh, I went to the bank for this and they told me, no, Oh, there's another dart. You got this. You got this. You got that. It takes faith being able to know that. When that attack is coming, the shield is actually going to stop it. Okay, that's why it's a shield. All right. The last two that we're going to look at salvation. Okay, the helmet of salvation. Turn to Romans uh, chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and let's go to verse. Let's start in verse 6. Romans chapter 10, verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse nine, that you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, underline heart, that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. There we see again righteousness in the heart. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay. So the helmet of uh, salvation. All right. We all make mistakes. Right. We all slip and stumble. Right. There's, there's nobody that's per- that nobody is perfect. Devil will try to tell you that you're not saved just because you made a mistake. All right. If you did what the Bible says here and you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, it says it right there in verse nine, you will be saved. OK, that's all there is to salvation. It doesn't matter what you do. And I'll be careful about how I say this. It doesn't matter what you do in your community, so to speak. It doesn't matter how many homeless people you go to visit. 
It doesn't necessarily matter how many people you talk to about God because those are works. All right. If Holy Spirit is guiding you to do those things, God will send the numbers of the people in your direction. He will put the people in your path that you need to talk to. But if you're keeping a list of saying, yep, I talked to eight people this week, uh, I need to up it up. I need to get to 15 next week. And you start trying to track that as a as a measure of success in your, your, your spiritual walk. That's not what God is looking at. God is looking at what's in your heart. So if you actually believe Jesus Christ is the son of God and that God and that he was raised up from the dead and you make that confession with your mouth, guess what? You're saved. Doesn't matter what you do after that. Don't let the devil try to plant some doubt in you thinking that you're not uh, trying to tell you that you're not saved. Another scripture I want to look at regarding salvation is John chapter three. John chapter 3, we're going to look in verse 17. John 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Don't let anyone ever tell you that there's other ways to heaven other than Jesus Christ, because it's not the truth. Okay, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have uh, that they have been done, been done in God. Okay. so again, salvation is about believing in Jesus Christ and confessing him with your with your mouth. The other thing that happens with salvation, we, we talk about why is it a helmet? Okay. we know that the devil likes to attack your mind. If he can get you to think something different than other than what God is saying, then he's got you beat. So if he can plant some doubt in your head that, yeah, you're not truly saved or that, yeah, you know what? It's OK to go to that place. It's OK to have that drink. It's OK to go party here. It's OK not to read your Bible. And he starts playing in your in your mind. Then he then he's then he's got you beat. OK, so having a helmet of salvation protects your mind from the, the lies that the enemy would try to tell you about whether or not you're truly saved. OK, it protects your mind to make sure that that only pure thoughts enter in and not thoughts of, of, of hatred or evil or anything else that you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be thinking about. And if they do, you quickly know how to how to rebuke that by using the name of Jesus and, and casting those evil thoughts out because it does happen. OK, it doesn't mean that the devil's not going to get in there and plant you, plant something in your mind. But it's what do you do after it enters your mind? Do you allow yourself like in the the um, uh, the demonstration a couple of weeks ago? Do you allow yourself to be guided by your mind or do you then take that what, what went into your mind, give it to your spirit and let be led by the by the by the spirit versus your mind? OK, so how can we use uh, salvation? Remember the remember these scriptures and let's say, you know, that just because you stumble does not mean that I'm not saved. OK, because I can ask for forgiveness and God will God will save me. OK. I can ask for forgiveness and he will and he will forgive me. I can repent and agree to turn my life uh, 180 degrees and not do the things that I've done. OK, remind him that. All right. The last one we're going to look at here is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's look at Matthew chapter four. 
Matthew chapter 4. And as we look at these scriptures, there's so many different scriptures out there for each one of these topics. Um, if I tried to cover all of them, well, let's say we would be here for quite some time. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and we'd be here probably for days and days and days and days and days. So um, there's all sorts of scriptures that cover all these different topics, but I'm just pulling out a couple of key ones um, as we go through this. Okay. So Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led up, uh, led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, by, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his, his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. These are some of my favorite scriptures here that that whole temptation of Jesus, because it's a great reminder that even when Jesus physically was at a very, very, very weak point, he still knew the, knew the word of God and used that to combat the enemy. Okay. And also there in verse 11, I want you to underline the devil left him, then the devil left him, because what it also shows there is that the devil doesn't know the word of God the way he thinks he knows it. And he will try to twist it. And when you hit him with the word of God, he starts to run. So why is it that the sword of the spirit is the word of God? Why a sword? Because to manipulate a sword, it takes a lot of skill. It takes an understanding of knowing how to how to, to wield it in a way for it to do to invoke maximum damage. It requires you to be able to have some strength to be able to move it in, in all sorts of ways, whether you're using it to fend off another attack or if you're using it to go for uh, a, a final blow. OK, when you become a baby Christian, remember I was talking earlier about why the defensive weapons are up first. When you become a baby Christian, you don't know how to wield that sword in ways that is going to cut off the head of the enemy. It's not until you start getting deeper into the word of God and you do like Jesus did, where it's OK. The enemy said this. Wait a minute. I know what the word of God says. Bang. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swing back back at you. OK. And knowing that it's going to take sometimes a few blows, a few scriptures for the enemy to actually flee. As a baby Christian, you think, oh, I got a sword. I can lob off the head of the enemy. Yep. One swing and it's all going to be over. That's not how it always works. OK, when you're dealing with very powerful forces of darkness there, you have to hit them with scripture over and over and over and over and over again repeatedly. And then they start to flee. So as a, as a Christian, when you're starting to get really, really, really deep in understanding spiritual warfare, you recognize, all right, I've got this going on, this situation that's going on. And now I could take a step back and I can ask Holy Spirit for some truth. OK, Lord, what's happening over here? Reveal this unto me. What he'll do is he'll tell you, he said, this is an operation. 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 He'll tell you all of that. Now you're ready to take your sword out and now you're ready to start battling. Now you can do exactly like Jesus did, but he got hit three times by Satan. And what did Jesus do? He hit him with three different scriptures. And finally, Satan said, I, I got enough at his weak point. 
So how do you use the sword of the spirit? Study the word of God and know which scriptures to use when you have situations coming up in your life. Okay, you don't have to know every single scripture that's out there. That's why I said a little bit earlier, there are so many scriptures on each one of these uh, particular topics. Make a list of all of all of these scriptures here, any ones that resonate with you and keep that list. So, you know, when the devil attacks you, you can hit him with, with with the word of God. Okay. You also have to believe that whenever you're quoting scripture, that it's actually going to defeat the enemy. Okay. Because you can do, you can just try to walk around with the sword of the spirit all day long. If you don't have the other aspects of the armor uh, in place, it's not going to work. If you don't have that faith to know that I can actually defeat the enemy with the word of God. If you don't have the truth to be able to do what we talked about earlier about rightly dividing the word. You see that, that, that Satan sat there and quoted scripture, but he missed the key part in that scripture. And that was to keep you in all your ways. Which simply means that, that, that as long as you are not... Um, uh, as long as you're walking accordingly to what God is asking you to do, that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can actually what you can actually manage. So the angels keeping you in all your ways, so to speak, is, is them really fighting off those attacks that could come against you that you wouldn't be able to handle because you're not prepared for those things. OK, he missed that part and he tried to throw scripture right back at Jesus. And Jesus said, eh, I'm not having it. It's written that you shall not tempt the Lord your God. OK. So you got to be able to have that faith. You have to be able to have truth to actually know what scriptures to use and to be able to discern um, what's actually truth and what's something that's coming from from man. You have to have righteousness in your heart to make sure that you're constantly walking in, in God's divine purpose and acting uh, accordingly. All right. You got to be able to step out with peace. Knowing that whatever step you take, even if you can't see beyond that initial step, that God is with you. And as long as you're following his path and he's allowing him to order your path, all things are going to work out no matter how long it might take. Okay, and then you have to recognize that even if you slip and stumble, that the grace of Jesus Christ, you can ask for forgiveness and he will forgive you. Okay, doesn't mean that you're not saved. All right. So don't let the devil tell tell you any kind of lies. Okay. So hopefully you can see there that. In order to, like the word of God says, in order to, to get some, some, some spiritual victories in life, you have to put the whole armor of God on. It's not just bits and, bits and pieces. You can't just pick and choose what, which pieces of the armor that you want to you wanna put on. You have to put on the entire armor of God in order to be victorious. Amen. So with that, let's prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings as we prepare to close. <laughs>